This podcast is sponsored by ebookit.com, self-publishing solutions for the independent author and small press. Visit us today at ebookit.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin. And I'm Ryan Levesque. Ryan, ever wonder how many core speaking skills there actually are? 10, 20, 50? Well, after about seven years of analyzing 5,000 speakers, our guest today seems to have derived a definitive number of skills and even more subskills. But you'll have to stay tuned to find out how many, what some of them are, and how you can work them to step up your speaking game. Ryan, who do we have the pleasure of speaking with today? Our guest today is David J.P. Phillips. David is a TEDx speaker and the founder of HeadGain Academy. He presented on the topic of today's conversation at the 2021 Toastmasters convention. And sorry, Greg, but I'm going to spoil the suspense (laughs) because David's article published in the April 2022 issue of the Toastmaster is called Harness 110 Speaking Skills. (laughs) Joining us from Vestros, Sweden, welcome David J.P. Phillips. Thank you, fellows. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Greg. It is a pleasure to be here. Well, the cat's out of the bag, but that's okay because we have a lot more exciting stuff to come. David, I'd love to start. Please tell us a little bit about the epiphany that started your seven-year journey. It was never intended to be a product. It was never intended to be a package. I am a man of efficiency. And when I was coaching people, and I've been coaching people for the better part of 20 years, I started to see patterns in people and I started realizing that I could easily transfer particular skills in between people and it made effects. And what I then realized is maybe, maybe there's just like this massive mathematical pattern in how we communicate and that that is fairly common among all humans. And I just started detailing every skill I could see and pick up on every person I met. And then I started systemizing it and then it became bigger. And then I asked my team to help me and around four and a half thousand speakers, I couldn't find any more skills of major impact. And we did 500 more in the team. And yeah, we were fairly content with the number of skills that we'd found. (laughs) I wonder if your family ever saw you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think they did. I did. did, They did. I did. I analyzed them as well. It's interesting. You know, I've got three kids and they've all been growing up. And as they grew up, I could see that they started to apply these skills automatically. And that was just brilliant to see how skills kind of just evolved in these small human beings. That was brilliant. Mm. That's interesting. You have this matrix. There's 110 core skills. And to me, when I first glanced at it, it seemed somewhat reminiscent of a periodic table that you'd see on the wall in a high school lab. How did Mm -hmm. you categorize them and how did you distill them down? I just wanted to simplify it in some way or another. So it's, it's simply categorized according to voice, 32 skills, and then we have body language, 84 skills. That was split up into facial expressions and general body language. So those were two categories to begin with. And then language and then ultimate, just four main categories to make it a little bit easier to navigate it. Yeah, must have taken a while. (laughs) It took a long time, but um, yeah, I love systems. So this is not the first periodic table I've created for public speaking. It is the most well-known though. Nice. Mm. When you finished it, 
Was it 110 skills or did you at some point have a smaller number and then discovered that there were some more that needed to be added? Rather, maybe the opposite. Mm. It's hard to say the exact number that it was because some of the skills, I don't even know if you can count them as skills, but say between 150 and 200 skills. And then those, I I just wanted to boil them down and make them as subcategory skills to make it somehow digestible because even 110 skills is like super undigestible for a lot of people but if you have 200 people go like nah <laughs> i would just want, i don't want to even look at that and right then, um, but since then i haven't found any main core skills i've found a couple of sub skills which have popped up under the main skills you just mentioned that some of them aren't even skills specifically and i wonder if you're referring to the first six on the chart that you have categorized mm. under nervousness, there are yeah. things that are typically not effective to do, like swaying, for example. Mm. Why did you decide to include those? If you look at the skills, there's 110 skills you can use to become an efficient communicator. The interesting thing is that you can use them, all of them practically, to the opposite. If you're doing role play or you're an actor, You want to use swaying, squirming, irrational movement, stroke, fidgeting, flight, freeze, unbalanced feet, which are the six main first categories, to show that you're nervous. And as a public speaker, now and then there's an advantage to showing weakness, to showing nervousness. And then you can actually apply those. So in the model, you could actually get plus points if those are used in the right context. Interesting. I mentioned to Greg yesterday... Sometimes on these competition shows, like, for example, here in the United States, we have American Idol, and I know there were versions Mm -hmm. of that around the world. And occasionally, there will be someone who will come up on stage, and as the judges begin to interview them and ask them who they are and what they're going to do, you'll find people who can be very nervous, but Mm -hmm. something about the way they present makes the audience fall in love with them instantly, Mm -hmm. even though in terms of effectiveness as a presenter, they're maybe doing some of these fidgeting things or things that don't typically make you an effective speaker. So I I wonder, is that in a way what you're pointing to here, although you're suggesting that skilled speakers can consciously pull these in at times? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's, If you look at it, there's 110 skills you can apply efficiently in one direction, but you can apply almost every single one in the other direction as well in order to get uh, sympathy or empathy or role play if you look at a good actor they're able to use all of these skills in both directions depending on what they want to show in their role what kind of emotions they want to create sometimes i think you've been aware of this as well if you go into an, an audience and you're overconfident you'll actually be less of a good communicator than if you show a couple of signals which shows less confidence or humility or something like that and Mm. they could be part of that Mm, it's interesting i'm staring at this matrix and it just seems so Mm. overwhelming in the article you mentioned that when you were putting this together you noticed what you called three interesting layers can you briefly touch upon those for us yeah the layers i noticed that the best communicators were those who were transparent in what I define as communication layers. And there were five of them. There was voice, 
body language, gestures, facial expressions, and words. So when all those five layers say exactly the same thing, when they are in full synchronicity, that speaker becomes incredibly believable and incredibly genuine and authentic. So a good example of this is if your loved one says, oh, I love you, Greg. I just love you. And she or he only uses two or three of these layers. You'll see that and you'll question them. And they're like, do you really mean that? But if they got five layers, it's no questioning. It's just super. And it's so powerful. When you walk into a room and you see a person with all these five layers, they're in full synchronicity in their communication. You're just absorbed by their entire personality. But if you walk into the same room and you meet a person who's only delivering two of these layers, say, for instance, what they say with their voice matches what they're saying with their hands, but it's not matching their words, facial expressions, or overall body language. Then there's a discrepancy. And then we get wary and we're like, hmm, what's up? <laughs> so they're not actually being very convincing. They're saying yes, but they're shaking their head side to side when they really mean no. <laughs> that could be an example. Yeah. Yeah. And if they smile and they say, I'm happy, but you can, they've got a frown on their face. Yeah. There's a lack of synchronicity. Yeah. And I, I thought that was quite an interesting uh, insight when doing this. Yeah. In addition to synchronicity in the article, you also make reference to skill chains and interconnected skills. Can you share mm. a little bit about that with us? Yeah, I noticed that some of the skills were interconnected and one of the most powerful was volume. And that is interconnected with a whole bunch of the other skills. You can actually see the entire matrix kind of... A blink. It's blinking all over the place when you increase your volume. What we tend to do when we become nervous is that we lower our volume. And when we become hesitant, we lower our volume. And that has an amplitudal effect on confident posture, neutral posture, functional gestures, speed of voice, strong rhetorics, filler words. It just impacts so many things. So if you meet anyone, you'll see that they'll try to go down in volume when they become hesitant, but ask them to go up in volume and boom, it has a positive impact on over 20 skills, around 20 skills. That's super cool when I started mapping those because it made me... <laughs> I finally, I got to where I wanted to get seven years ago, which was efficiency, where I can go to one person, I can pinpoint one thing, which has an effect on 15 other skills. And I know that if that is the only thing I can give them, it'll have the biggest, biggest possible impact. So is that what you're referring to as the mother skills? Yeah. Yeah. That's what, where these chain of skills start. There's a number of these that are more important than others. And, and volume is one of them. Okay, can you tell us a little bit more about how the mother skills work? Let's say it's just core skills, which has the biggest chain effects on the rest of the skills. And there are a limited number of these. So volume is one of them. It has an amazing impact on over 20 of the others. Functional gestures is a second one. And that also has an impact of around 15 to 20 other skills. So as soon as you start using your hands to illustrate and emphasize what you're talking about, it has this magical connection to your face and your facial expressions start to mirror 
what you're doing with your hands. It impacts your emphasis. It impacts your pace. It impacts your, your synchronicity and so many other things. So those are two mother skills. So that's the definition of them. They have a bigger impact on everything else than the other skills. That makes a lot of sense. David, as I was reflecting upon your 110 steps of communication chart and looking over the various aspects of it, I remembered back to an experience very early in my Toastmasters career. This was actually about 20 years ago. Hmm. I was a pretty new Toastmaster and we had a district officer come and visit our club. At the end of the meeting, he addressed the group and I felt like on paper, he did everything right. He had broad gestures. He had what we call vocal variety, dynamics with his volume, his pitch, his speed. He never yelled, but he raised his voice. And then he got really quiet. Hmm. And I thought from an evaluation standpoint, you would check the boxes on everything. Yeah, he did it all right. <laughs> he followed the program. Yeah. But he just didn't connect with the audience. It was mm. awkward. It was a bit off-putting. We were in a small conference room. It was just kind of too much for the environment and the context. Maybe you know exactly you know, where to put it here, and I suppose it's unfair to ask you to diagnose a speaker that you have not seen or heard. <laughs> but yeah. do you have any thoughts about what might be going on in a dynamic like that? Hmm. It's a brilliant analysis and I can relate to it and I've seen it and it's sad when it happens and it's not hard to fix. In the 110 skills, there's a set of ultimate skills, which gives you an X score. It can increase your score by a factor of two, three or four, depending on how good you are at it. So in this case, there's a skill 107, which is called present and authentic. What is that? What kind of a skill is that? And from a biological perspective, it comes down to a neuropeptide called oxytocin. So when you have high levels of oxytocin, you're very present and you're very caring of what's going on around you. You are extrospective instead of introspective. This is what oxytocin does to you. If you don't have oxytocin in your brain at this point of time, you won't be fulfilling 107. You won't be present and authentic. And then you will not get a factor of four on all of your other skills. You'll maybe get a factor of zero because you're not at all being present and authentic. So imagine this, that you've scored 40 points on all the other skills, but the person is not present and authentic, they'll have 40 points. But if they are present and authentic, to a high level, they may have a factor of two or three on those points. Uh, so Ooh. that skill is incredibly important. And what I usually do in order to make that happen, I bring up my phone and I look at photos of my daughter when she's running through the grass in the summer with balloons and it's her birthday and it makes me cry. Then I go up on stage and I'll spend two minutes watching my daughter. And now when I get up, I'm filled with oxytocin. And I'm present and I'm authentic. Wow, that's powerful. Well, yeah. Greg, I know you mentioned that you had an opposite experience of a speaker. 
Yeah, it was funny as we were prepping for the session, Ryan had shared his experience and I said I had one that was totally the opposite. A few years back, I was watching a video of a speaker and you know how sometimes I mentioned even in the article where sometimes a model fails. I experienced an individual that I'm not going to say that he broke every rule, but he was an individual who was not a speaker who was asked to speak. And he did things like he was fidgeting, he was playing with his remote, he had tons of ahs and ums, he stared down, he paced the room as he spoke. But his content was so compelling that you couldn't help but listen. And to me, I was thinking about it as Ryan and I were speaking yesterday, it seems akin to almost liking the villain or the antagonist in a movie when you know you're not supposed to. I mean, what do you do in a situation like that? Oh, you know what? I love those people. I just love them. And it seems like there's one unique person that comes around for every 500 speakers that just blows you away, even if they're not using the skills you're supposed to use. And oh my God, that puzzled me for so long. You know, how can that be? How can you not fulfill those skills? It's like singing and you're not able to sing, but people still love you for it. And one thing I obviously realized was that there's some kind of empathy going on for this person to some level. We're not as judgy to this person. They, maybe they have some kind of an aura or they have some ambition and you really like them for their ambition and their aura, and you feel empathy for their lack of skills. We had such a situation in Sweden. I don't want to mention names because I'll make half of the Swedish population angry. But we had a, <laughs> a, a musical contest, and the person who sang wasn't very good. He did a lot of incorrect things when it came to singing. He shouldn't have been there. But the song was amazing. And then when the votes came about, the Swedes voted him to win, got most points of all points to win. But when the international jury was going to vote, he got zero or the least. So this is super interesting. But what was so clear, what was happening was that the Swedish population has so much empathy for this person that it skewed their perspective of that person's skills. Sometimes that has an influence on a person's inabilities of using these skills. We see past them. Another thing is passion. If you have passion, and if you can see that in the eyes of the person, if they are in love with their subject, that passion becomes so present, so authentic, so synchronized in their way of communicating, and it just blows all the skills out of the water. But you know what? That still doesn't answer it. And I don't have the answer, my friend. It's just the only thing I can say is you cannot take those skills and give to the other 499 and they will succeed because they'll <laughs> fail <laughs> dismally. Right. That's the thing. But I no, I don't know. And that's weird because considering how many I've studied. But those are a couple of thoughts and perspectives I've had on it. So if you ever figure it out, give me a call. I'll be the first person to want to know exactly why that happens. 
you hit the nail on the head because he was definitely passionate about what he did. Again, he was more of a researcher. He was more of a scientist. In fact, he was lambasted in the comments of the video about what a horrible speaker he was. And of course, I mm -hmm. went in there to justify and say, look, he was asked at the last minute to give this presentation. He's not a public speaker. He's not a professional speaker. He's not a Toastmaster. But yet yeah. he was able to, to do this. You know, give the guy a break. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Maybe we at least found 80% of the answer to the question. Still seems to be some variable left there, but I love seeing those speakers. They blow me away. It's in, in my profession, after seeing so many, it's just, it's poetry when I see people like that. David, I guess that's the exception rather than the rule. So getting back to that table just for a moment, I was looking at number 41, the dramatization. And mm. what I really love about that one is in the article, you singled out subskills, the singing, role play, and screaming. And I really appreciated that because that goes more into depth than, let's just say, vocal variety. It's almost like you've given a name to the rate, the pitch, the tone, and the volume. Because you know, when you hear mm. about people suffering from stress, they say one of the ways of diffusing the stress is to identify the stressor and name the stressor. And it seems that you've done it with this type of methodology in terms of the subskills. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yes, I don't know what the question is. <laughs> yeah, but in my notes here right below, when I wrote this down, I actually had a question originally, but I forgot what the actual question was going to be. It literally says in the document we're looking at, David, forgot the question <laughs> I, I had the question here. I had here. <laughs> but there was something about it. When, when, when I looked at it, I'm going, well, that's, you know, it's it's great. So... Maybe I could ask, uh, how did you single out something like singing? It's not something you typically have in a presentation, unless you're talking about a singing performance. That is true. After having a look at so many, I noticed obviously that they had various ways of attracting attention and clarifying their message. And one of those was singing. It wasn't often, but out of the 5,000, there was definitely about 20, 30 that used some kind of variation of singing and it was brilliant you know what we were talking about this periodic table but i got a bit bored after a while and i started counting something else i started counting variations that speakers were using in their speeches because i concluded that the more variations a speaker has the bigger the chance is that they'll score high i even concluded that variations was more important than the content itself so if you had a boring set of content, but there was loads of variation in the delivery skills, it would score higher than a popular subject which had less variations. So I call these spices, and there's 136 of those as well. Oh, dear. <laughs> you have storytelling is one of 136 spices. Using PowerPoint is another one of 136 spices, and so on. Singing was one of these that ended up as a spice because it creates variation but it's also a way of conveying your message with emotion. So I really didn't know where to put that. So it went on to both those matrices. It's powerful. I'm actually trying to learn to sing at the moment. It's hard, but you know, the day when you're doing a keynote and suddenly you just pick up the guitar and boom, you're this amazing singer for two minutes and then you just carry on. As long as it's in the context, in the subject, it's going to blow people's minds. So mm. you know, I want to be there as well. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm still staring at this page and I'm thinking we can't cover all 110 here as our time slowly comes to an end. 
as a speaking coach, can you perhaps give us a couple of little tips or perhaps take some of these little skills and maybe package them together and offer up just a little, little sample for our audience? Absolutely. The most important thing with all these skills is that they become most fluent to us and most accessible to us when we are in the right mental state before going up. That's important to remember. It's the 107, which was connected to oxytocin. And sometimes you need to be highly motivated. So you should supercharge yourself with dopamine just before going up. And you do that by repeating your emotional why you're doing this become hungry for real. So many public speakers have done so many talks and they forget to be connected to their own emotions. And when you start losing that, well, your career is going in the wrong direction. So the first thing is put yourself into the right mental state. Do not go up on stage nervous, not uncontrollably nervous. That should be redirected to passion, if so, but uncontrollably nervous and you'll lose the lack of flow and connection to these skills, right? That's number one. That will make them just the biggest difference. What else? An interesting thing that I noticed when I was coaching people was that a lot of people aren't using the right emphasis or could use stronger emphasis on what they're saying. The tonality and the emphasis is not matched to the word. And when they come in, they say, good morning or hello. Or they say, all right, let's do this. This is going to be so cool. They need to have the right emphasis. Then you can do this as a coach. You can say, but you have to put more emphasis in it. You know, I really mean it. Put more emotion into it. Right? That's one way to go. I realized that that was very inefficient. And then I tried to add the mother skill of functional gestures. So I said, okay, use the gesture which is associated to that emphasis. And that worked way better. But what really worked like on a legendary level, is to ask them to use the right facial expression for the emphasis. We have this somatic feedback loop in our brain where what we do with our somatic nervous system, i.e. our will-powered nervous system, translates into an emotional state and that impacts the emphasis. And so that was just a journey I went through as a coach that to match the facial expression to the emphasis is going to be way faster than fixing it in any other way. Mm -hmm. That one was interesting. Tell us about the Duquesne smile or something. <laughs> yeah, the Duquesne smile. I realized that there was a sub-skill, two sub-skills, which I didn't know about. And it was called a genuine smile. And it's when you combine number 79 and 82, so you had something called the orbicular oculi. It's a muscle group around the eyes, and then you have the sugomatic major around the mouth. When these are contracted at the same time, you launch a Duchenne smile. And studies are just so agreeing on that. People with Duchenne smiles are just more successful, more happy, more sociable in life. It's, it's incredibly powerful. In this case, I asked myself, do I have a Duchenne smile? Walked over to my computer, scrolled through my Google photos, didn't find a single Duchenne smile, which wasn't odd because I'd been depressed the most bigger part of my life. I hacked my depression about seven years ago. I realized that I didn't have a Duchenne smile. So I decided to learn to do it. And it took me five months. I was the biggest psychopath of Vesteros. <laughs> <laughs> going around trying to make smiles, you know. I was just so weird. I don't know why I didn't give up. I found a method. 
And that was just finding a reference. I looked for the happiest moment in my life. And that was when I came home after a long trip and I met my daughter. And she gave me this, this beautiful Leona hug, as she call it. She's, her name is Leona. And I realized that that was the only time I had a genuine smile. And then when I got that reference, I just started repeating it. And I learned how to do a Duchenne smile. And if you look at my social media, there's a before and after David on social media. It's, it's insane. And ever since then, it's, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but it's probably the most important skill I learned out of all these 110 skills. And that is to, to launch a genuine smile more often. Wow. Yeah. And it's infectious. <laughs> and it's infectious. And it produces yeah. endorphins. So when you're on stage and you start to feel nervous, if you're able to launch a Duchenne smile, you've actually practiced how to do it without external stimuli, you boost your endorphins levels on command, on stage, and your nervousness just, it just blows away. It's so powerful. Wow. Mm. David, you've given us some amazing insights today. And for our listeners, you've got page 19 in the April edition of the Toastmaster magazine. You can find this chart we've been referring to, 110 Steps of Communication. I want to recommend to our listeners also to please check out David's TEDx talk. It's called The 110 Techniques of Communication and Public Speaking. But David, for those who want to take this further, as amazing as this chart is, some of the items on here, for example, let me just take a quick look. Hexacolon <laughs> or <laughs> anaphora, epiphora. It's like, well, that's great. And, and clearly, as you've talked about these, there is a lot behind them. So what would you recommend is a good way for people to really engage with this content if they want to dive deeper and really, truly learn and adapt and incorporate these skills? If you do want to deep dive into it, you have myheadgain.com. It's, it's my online academy with all my online training. And you can then upload a video of yourself and get a score between 1 and 0, 110. When you get a score, what's cool with that is that you'll know exactly which skills to focus on and you can systematically grow as a speaker. So I love that. I love that method. I love training people in that. I do master classes in Sweden, but you have to fly a fair bit. There, I'll be doing a masterclass in the US as well next year, 2023. Finally, as a response to that question, I'd say this, that there's such a big misinterpretation when it comes to public speaking, and that is that people think that you do it on stage only, but that is just incorrect. Every time you speak in public, it's public speaking. And what is public? It's more or less every time you meet another person and you talk to them. You can apply and practice all these 110 skills every time you meet another human being, which means that you practice it in your life. So when you go up on stage, you're just brilliant. Wow. We will definitely put this information that you've given us in the show notes. And just wondering, is there another place that you'd like people to find you at or where they can follow you? Yeah, social media, you know, hit me on uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube. I've all, I'm all over that place. Well, this was so much fun. Love your questions. I wish we could have gone on for longer, but, you know, it's a good start. Yep. <laughs> well, folks, if you've enjoyed this episode as much as we have, please make sure that you share it with all your friends. Take an opportunity. You can find the Toastmasters podcast at toastmasterspodcast.com. 
Toastmasters.org, Apple and Google Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere you find your podcasts. David J.P. Phillips, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing with us. This has been a blast, and you're amazing. Uh, I've had such a blast. This is so much fun. I want to do this again, 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 again. Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. Isn't it about time you publish that book you've been thinking about? We can help with that. At ebookit.com, we've been providing authors and small presses with ebook publishing services since 2010. Visit us today at ebookit.com and let us know how we can help you.